Well, I don't know about you, but I am excited to be here this morning. I'm excited that is a new year, a fresh start. Fresh starts are great things in our lives. New beginnings are a great thing in our lives. They give us an opportunity to reflect about where we've been and about what the future may hold. They bring with them hope and excitement about what may happen. And I don't know about where you're at, but I'm feeling hopeful about this next year. I'm feeling hopeful about what 2022 will bring and about the ways in which I believe that God is going to work throughout this next year. And I hope that as we move forward over the next months and years that you will be a part of that hopeful feeling as we look at what God is going to do here in our lives and in Skog Church. Before we jump in today, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the chance each and every week to open up your word. What a gift your word is to us, Lord, that we don't have to walk through life without it, but that we can turn to it each and every day, Lord, that we can reflect upon the words that you have given us, that we can let them guide us and instruct us and correct us. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before your scriptures today. We ask that you would speak to us through your word so that we may come to reflect you more and more each and every day. Lord, may nothing that I say get in the way of what you wish to declare, but may you be glorified here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read a quote this week by an unknown person that said, The start of something new brings the hope of something great. Anything is possible. And today marks the beginning of something new. We've wrapped up 2021, we've wrapped up our Advent sermon series, and we're going to start a brand new three-week sermon series. So I figured, what better time than now to spend the next three weeks looking at this idea of a renewed vision, of following after Christ as church and as individuals, of what that vision is for us, not our vision statement for the church, but what is a vision for us? as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who seek to live after the way Christ lived? What does that vision look like to implement into our lives? What are those elements of how we are to live our lives each and every day? And so we're going to be taking three weeks to look at this, to look at these topics of what it means to have a vision for Christ and what those attributes are in our lives. This week I was reading a story, a modern-day parable about two servants who desired each to do the will of the king, but each approached their work differently. You see, one of the servants, for fear of not pleasing his master, rose early each day to hurry and to do all the things that he believed the king wanted done. He didn't want to bother the king with questions about what that work was. Instead, he hurried from project to project from early morning until late at night. The other servant, also eager to please his master, would rise early as well, But he would take a few moments to go to the king and to ask him about his wishes for the day and to find out just what it was that he desired to be done. And only after such a consultation did this servant step into the work of the day. The busy servant may have gotten a lot done by the time the inquiring servant even started his work, but which of them was doing the will of the master in pleasing him? You see, genuine productivity is not about getting as much done for God as we can manage. It is about doing the good work God actually has for us in the given day. Genuine productivity is learning that we are more than servants, that we are beloved sons and daughters, invited into the good kingdom work of our Heavenly Father. 
That being the case, how might God be inviting you to wait for his specific directions as you seek after following God? As I was reading this parable, the thought came to me that we want to ensure that this year is one in which we are following closely after the will of God. We don't want to be working so hard going in one direction only to find later that that was the wrong direction. We want to evaluate what are the check marks that ensure that this is occurring. That as we strive hard after the Lord's will together, that we are using our time and our lives in a way that's doing the will of God. Maybe you've found yourself there before where you've worked really hard on something only to realize you're working really hard in the wrong direction. I know that I've had those projects or those instances. I've even had those times of preparing for a sermon where I've jumped into a text and I've been working hard on a text, reading through it, studying the text, only to get a couple days in and realize I was studying the wrong text, that it was not the text I was supposed to preach on that Sunday, and I had to go back and start all over. Maybe you want to please God and you just aren't sure what those core pieces of the vision are to following after God. What God desires of you as you seek to live out a following of Christ each and every day. It can be easy to follow after a multitude of good things that can distract us from the core central things that we should be focused upon. So this morning I want to take a look at one core piece of the vision for us as individuals and as the church. One foundational piece of what it means to follow after Christ. And I would argue that that foundational piece is that we exist to preach Christ. I want to suggest that there are three reasons this morning as to why our lives should be aimed in this direction, both as individuals and as a church, that we should be seeking to preach Christ in all that we do. And so to better understand the importance of this fact of why we should pursue after this endeavor of preaching Christ with our lives, let's start by turning to John chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 60 through 69. Again, that's John chapter 6. You can follow along on the screen or on your phone or Bible in the pew or just listen as I read this to you. So John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. But when many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do not take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come unless no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what's happening here is Jesus is talking with his disciples, but what has previously occurred in this chapter is we've seen Jesus feed the 5,000, this miraculous, huge miracle where he's fed thousands of people. Then Jesus has walked on water, another miracle. And the next day he then claims that he is the bread of life. 
And as he claims that he's the bread of life, the disciples respond by sharing with Jesus that this thing he's said, this saying that he's made, is a hard saying to understand. How can they truly understand the concept of what Jesus is saying when he says that he is the bread of life? Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, it's not hard to imagine why the disciples were a little bit confused by this saying and telling Jesus that it was a hard saying. But what Jesus is getting at here for the disciples, and for us as well, is the importance of abiding in him, of finding our sustenance in Jesus alone as our life-sustaining means. That it's not other things of the world that will sustain us. It's not anything else that can truly give us life, but it is truly only in Jesus Christ and through his blood from his sacrifice that we can find life. Jesus has then moved on to encourage his disciples to not grumble about this saying. He knows what's happening. He knows their grumblings. And he knows what's going on in their mind. And he encourages them that it's the Spirit who gives life. That life is not found in other aspects. It's not found in the flesh or in the desires of the flesh, but that life is found in the Spirit. And the words that he is speaking here are indeed spirit and life, as we see John tell us. Now, Jesus recognizes that some won't believe, that some will be doubters who don't believe what Jesus is saying. Some will betray him, but this doesn't change the fact of who Jesus is. Just because people doubt, just because people turn and walk away, just because people claim that Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life, it doesn't mean it is not true. It doesn't change the fact of the matter. And the result of Jesus' comments we see here are that many disciples turn and no longer walk with him. They leave Jesus, which sets up a beautiful exchange with the 12 disciples who are there with Jesus. Look again at verse 67 through 69. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? So as people are leaving, as people are not liking what he's saying, and they're, they're saying, we can't follow these sayings, Jesus turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus gives the twelve this opportunity to leave, and Peter's response is truly amazing. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter knows that there is nothing else for them, that there is no other aspect of life that will truly satisfy. Peter knows that if he's to leave Jesus, if he's to go back to his previous life as a fisherman, that he will not be satisfied that that will not bring about the eternal life that he seeks because Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. We are to use our lives to preach Christ because Jesus has the words of life. Knowing this truth in our lives should cause us to have a similar response as Peter does, that there is nowhere else to turn, that our lives must be used to preach Christ and to show others that he alone has the words of eternal life, and that he alone is the Holy One of God. Peter declares that Jesus has the words of life, but in John 14, 1 through 6, we get a glimpse of Jesus showing us more about these words and the depth of what they mean for us as we follow him. So take a look with me at John 14, 1 through 6. 
In John 14, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the second reason why I believe that our lives are to be used to preach Christ is because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus tells us that we are to not let our hearts be troubled. Why? Because we believe in God and in Jesus. And what we see in Scripture are all these aspects of who he is and the truth of who he is, the foundational truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not only that, but there's a comfort that we see here in the text from Jesus that he has gone to prepare a place for us and that he will come back and return to bring us with him. What a great picture that is. I know that as kids grow up, one of the things that provides kids with, with such security is the times when their parents have to leave and yet they come back. And if you've had kids and you've left your kids for any amount of time, whether it be just a short date or a weekend trip, Kids are always worried about, are mom and dad going to come back? They're wondering, when are mom and dad going to come back? And when the parents return, it just reiterates to the kids the security that their parents will continually come back. And as I read this text, and I read Jesus saying that he will come back for us, to me there is great comfort in that. That Jesus has not left and abandoned us, but he is going to prepare a place for us. And that he will come and bring us with him so that we can be with him. What an amazing promise we are given. One of the disciples here, though, Thomas wonders how the disciples can know the way. Thomas says, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. And how often do we feel similar to Thomas, wondering, Lord, what's the way? Wondering, Lord, where are you in my midst? And look at Jesus' comforting responses. He declares to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here at Springfield Church of God, we preach Christ as a foundational aspect of our church and our lives because there is no other way. Jesus is it. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. And when you look at these aspects of who Jesus is, the way, he is the path to heaven. There is no other path to heaven except through Jesus Christ. You can live the best life you can live. You can do all the volunteer work. You can give millions of dollars away. And if Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, you will not be in heaven when your time on earth ends. Jesus is the truth. We can know absolute truth and Jesus is it. He is also, in his essence, completely true. He is true to the words he says. He is true to the promises he has made. Everything that he has declared is truth. He does not lie. And we know that as we read his story in Scripture, as we see his promises come to fruition, as we see his faithfulness to the words that he has said. And he is the life. True, authentic life is found in Jesus alone. Everything else pales in comparison to life in Christ. 
Everything else falls short of life in Christ. I've heard people speak of the fact that Jesus is the only way as a negative or as a closed-minded way to think that there's only one God. How can we declare that there's only one God and that we know who he is? But that is who Jesus is. He is not a gatekeeper to God, but he is the one through his blood who cleanses us so that we are ready to meet the Father. Without him, our sin, our unholiness keeps us from being able to be in the presence of a holy God. What a gift that Jesus offers us. What a gift that he extends to those who place their faith in him. To not just cover our sins, but to show us the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus gives us words of life and guides us in the way, the truth, and the life. But why does it matter that you and I preach Christ with our lives? What kind of impact could this have? We'll look at one last scripture with me this morning to see the impact that preaching Christ has. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 20. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here we see in Acts chapter 4 just one of the pictures of the lives of those who followed after Jesus and the impact it had upon them and the impact that their lives are now having upon others. As Peter and John go about preaching Christ with their lives, they find themselves in trouble once again. And yet, the preaching that they're doing is impacting the lives of those who are hearing it. It's impacting the lives of those who are being healed through Jesus Christ. They have healed those who are crippled, and now they're presented with an opportunity to share with the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the high priestly family of the council who have brought them here. And they've charged them with not preaching Christ any further. And Peter shares with a boldness that we see there in Acts 4, a boldness that is impactful to those he is speaking to. God uses our boldness for him to impact those around us. And when Peter speaks boldly in the name of Christ and shares with them, we see that the leaders are left questioning what they can even do with Peter and John. They're left questioning because these miracles have been performed. There's witnesses who will proclaim that these miracles have occurred, that crippled people have been healed, that there are these notable signs that Jesus is at work through Peter and John and in their lives. And yet, The council doesn't want this message to spread any further. They don't want the gospel message to continue to reach out into the people. And yet, they're taken aback by the boldness of Peter and John. 
So they decide the best thing to do is to tell Peter and John that they'll release them, but they can no longer speak and teach in the name of Jesus. But I love how Peter and John respond. Here they are, they're faced with hardship, they're faced with opposition, and they're told, okay, we'll let you go, but just don't teach about Jesus, just don't preach about Jesus. And look at verse 19 again. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John knows that what matters is not what man thinks of them or what man instructs them to do, but what matters is that they use their lives to preach Christ. They have walked with Jesus. They have heard Jesus teach. They have been witnesses as his disciples And now they too must use their lives to preach Christ. They must let people know who the Messiah is. And their very lives become about preaching Christ to all who will hear. What a beautiful message that they bring. What an amazing number of lives that are transformed through John and Peter's willingness to use their lives to preach Christ no matter what the cost. The cost which eventually is their lives for preaching Christ. And yet, this does not deter them. This does not stop them or the other early apostles from continuing to use their lives to preach Christ to all who will hear. Because they cannot but speak of what they have seen and heard. How can we, too, not but speak of what we have seen and heard? If our lives have been transformed by Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, how can we remain silent and not preach Christ to all who will listen? How can we go about our daily business and not preach Christ to all who will listen? For we have seen and heard Jesus. Our lives have been changed, and so we must go about preaching Christ with our lives, with our church, within our families, everywhere we go. This must be foundational to who we are as Christians. If we want to follow in the footsteps of the early disciples who made their entire lives about preaching Christ, then what does that mean for us today? How do we live lives that preach Christ? Well, I would suggest that we do this by practically applying these passages in our lives in the following way. First and foremost would be to live transformed by Christ. I was reading a story this week about some native converts of the island of Madagascar who used to present themselves for baptism. And it was often asked to them, what first led you to think of becoming Christians? The answer usually was that the changed conduct of others who had become Christians was what first arrested their attention. I knew this man to be a thief, that one was a drunkard, another one was very cruel and unkind to his family. And now they are all changed. The thief is an honest man, the drunkard is sober and respectable, and the other is gentle and kind in his home. There must be something in a religion that can work such changes, the converts would say. It can be easy at times to think that our lives don't make a difference, to think that our faithfulness to Christ is not noticed. But let me encourage you that when you live a life changed for Christ, it makes a difference. A life lived apart from the world will not go unnoticed. I think far too often we think that our lives aren't making an impact because we live too much like the world. We're not willing to separate ourselves from the world and live in a manner that looks more like Christ 
than the culture around us. We must be willing to live in such a way that our priority is to follow Christ, not to enjoy our life and our time here on earth. Part of preaching Christ with your life means that you must be willing to follow his commands, to seek in such a manner to reflect him with your life, no matter what the cost. Each one of us must ask ourselves the question, when people look at our lives, is it a better reflection of the surrounding culture or of Jesus? This must be something that we must wrestle with. Do we reflect Christ more or do we reflect our culture more? Because if we are to be men and women seeking after Jesus, the answer is clear. Our lives should reflect Christ more and more each and every day. And so we seek to preach Christ with our lives by living transformed by Christ, by allowing the Holy Spirit to do that transformative work in our heart and our lives so that we are becoming more like Him, so that our nature is more like His so that the attributes that we are showing others are more like those of Christ. If we have aspects that are not like Christ, things that we are wrestling with and struggling with, then we must bring them before the Lord and ask Him to do the work within our lives, to take those and to mold them and shape them to be more like Him. The second thing that we must do to practically apply this idea of preaching with preaching Christ with our lives, is we must develop a heart for the lost. When we look at the life of Jesus, the ones whom we are seeking to preach, the one who we are seeking to preach with our lives, we can see that he has a heart for the lost. He loves those who are misguided. He loves those who are marginalized and mistreated. He loves those who think they have it all together and don't. If we are to preach Christ, we must develop a heart for the lost. This is how we preach Christ and how we treat those who are outside the church as well as inside the church. It's easy to focus on how we treat one another inside the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet forget that it is so important to have a heart for those who are outside of our doors. How we interact and love on those who aren't a part of our church how we use our resources and our time and our talents to share Christ with those who don't know him. You see, if we look at the life of Jesus who we are seeking to mold our lives after, he spent time with the lost. He cared for them and he loved them and he had a heart for them. And so if we want to preach Christ, if we want to reflect him authentically, then as individuals, as a church, we must have a heart for the lost. This must be a driving force in why we do what we do, to share Christ with those who need to hear the good news. It is not a good thing to take the good news and to keep it to ourselves, but we want to go out and proclaim it to those who need to hear it, to share with those who don't know Jesus what they're missing, to share with them the hope that is found in Christ alone, that there is a great hope far greater than anything this world has to offer. And what better time than this day and age to offer that hope to people? A time when people feel hopeless, a time when people are full of anxiety and questions about what the future will hold and the unknown, where people are living in tremendous fear. What greater time than to tell them that we have hope, that you can set aside fear because of that hope 
that you don't have to live in fear because of who Jesus is, because he already conquered death. Here he defeated illness. Yeah, if our hope is in this world, if our hope is in our time on this earth, then we will live in that fear. We will live just being completely controlled by it. So we must seek to love those people, to share with them the gospel message and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus alone. And lastly, we must seek to trust God to use your faithfulness. Sometimes it's hard to trust that God can use you. Sometimes we don't get to see that come to fruition in our lives. I was reading this week that at the 100th anniversary of the arrival of missionaries in Zaire, Christians gathered to celebrate from the part of Zaire that was once called the Belgian Congo. And near the end of the celebration, a very old man stood up to give a speech. He said that he would die soon and that he needed to tell something that no other man still living knew. He explained that when the first white missionaries came, his people didn't know whether to believe the message or not. So they devised a plan to slowly and secretly poison the missionaries and watch them die. One by one, children and adults became ill, died, and were buried. And it was when his people saw how these missionaries died that they decided to believe their message. The missionaries never knew what was happening. They didn't know that they were being poisoned, and they didn't know why they were dying. But their faithfulness to the Lord convinced the people that they mistreated too, that their message was true. It was in how they died for Christ that they converted people to follow Jesus. Sometimes we may find ourselves thinking that our lives aren't having an impact, that as we seek to live lives transformed by Christ, as we seek to develop a heart for the lost, it seems that nothing's happening. It seems that lives aren't being changed, and that can be difficult. Yet our job, your job, is not to make lives changed. Your job is not to make people convert to Jesus. Your job, your calling is only to be faithful to God and to trust him to use your life when you preach Christ. Just like the missionaries in Zaire, we never know the impact of how we live our lives. We never know what people are watching, who is noticing how you are living and seeking after the Lord and the impact that it may have on others even far after you are gone from this earth. We never know how God is going to use our faithfulness to impact others. I remember when I was in Colorado working at a previous church that I was at, there was one week where the senior pastor was gone and I was an associate pastor type role and so I was the only one in the office and one of our congregants stopped by that day and he wanted to meet with the pastor and the pastor wasn't there. And so he asked me if I had some time to meet. And I was pretty busy and didn't really want to spend that time but felt like I needed to. And so I said, sure, come on in. And so this man came in and wanted to talk and as we were talking, he shared with me that his father had just died. And as he sat in my office and I got to console him and he cried with me, And he shared about who his dad had been and about his grief that he was experiencing. I just listened. I was just a listening ear. I didn't have any profound wisdom for him. I was just someone who was there to listen and to love him in the midst of his grief. And I ended our time by having a chance to pray for him. Well, the months went on, and as my time at that church came to a close, he came up to me one day and he shared with me how impactful 
that time was. How impactful it was that I had taken the time to listen to him and to pray with him. And I had almost missed that opportunity because I was thinking that my day was busy and perhaps too busy to take the time to be with him. I didn't know what was going on in his life. I didn't know the importance of that moment. See, we don't know the impact that our life will have. We don't know the impact of our faithful pursuit after Christ will have to those around us. What a relief that you are not responsible to change people's hearts or to give them salvation. You can take great comfort in the fact that that is God's job, not yours. You just have to live faithfully to God. Trust that He will use you as He desires. Take joy in this. Take joy in being used by Christ as you seek to live faithfully to Him with your life. I'm not sure where you're at this New Year's as we look forward to all that 2022 holds. Perhaps you're like me and you're excited and hopeful about what God has in store, ready to serve however he calls you to. Or perhaps you're just hearing about some of these things and wondering if Jesus really can make a difference in your life. Well, let me encourage all of you this morning that Jesus does and will make a difference in a life that has lived in surrender to him. A life surrendered to Jesus Christ is truly the best life that you can live in 2020 and forward. So start today by recasting your vision for 2022 and building it upon the importance of using your life to preach Christ. Part of how we do this, part of how we preach Christ is each and every month we come to the table and it is a remembrance for us of who Jesus is as our Lord and Savior and of the importance of what he accomplished in his death and resurrection is a way that as a community we come together and preach Christ by taking of these elements. And it's an encouragement to us as we go out into the world to preach Christ because of what he has done. And so we, each and every month, take this time to remember Christ's death and resurrection, to remember the transforming power of what occurred when Jesus died and rose again. That night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room And after supper, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And so here at Skog, each and every month, we take the bread together as a sign of our unity as believers. And we have these communion cups with the little wafer on top. And if you didn't receive one, you can go ahead and just raise your hand and one of our ushers will make sure that you get one. But I would invite you to go ahead and rip off that top layer And prepare the wafer as I pray, and then we can take this together as a sign of our unity in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have shown us the way. Lord, that we are not without a guide in this world. That we are not left alone, but that you came down to earth. You walked the path before us to show us the true way to life everlasting. In you alone. And so as we gather together today, as we take of this bread together today, may we remember that as you alone who sustains us, that is through your body that died a physical death and rose again, that through our faith in you and our trust in you that we will receive eternal life. And we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take and eat.
In a similar manner, after supper, Jesus took the wine and he poured it out. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, that we proclaim Christ's death and resurrection until he comes again. You see, that's the beauty of communion. It's not just a looking back like we've talked about in Advent. It's not just a reflecting upon what occurred on the cross and in the empty tomb, but it's a looking forward to the fact that Jesus is coming again. It's a reminder of our hope in Christ Jesus as our resurrected Lord and Savior. That we do not worship someone who is dead, buried in a tomb, but that our sign of hope is that empty tomb because Jesus defeated death. And so as we partake of the body and the blood, we remember that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that there is no other way except through Jesus Christ. So I would invite you, as you feel ready, to take the cup and to drink. And maybe you need a few moments. Maybe you need to sit in the silence for a moment to pray, to confess sins perhaps, to bring those before the Lord before you partake of the cup. But the cup is something that you can take on your own time in the next little while. You can even save it as we worship and take it. But as I pray, the worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a few more worship songs as we continue to proclaim our worship to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you so much for this communion, for the sign of what occurred in your death and resurrection, and for the reminder of the hope that we have in you, Jesus. And so as we look forward to this year, as we look forward with a hopeful anticipation to what you will accomplish, and as each and every month we come to this table, let it serve as a reminder of your living and active presence in our lives and in our church. And Lord, may our lives preach you in all that we do. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name.